With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. The first edition of uh, the coronavirus era. Hopefully it's not a very long one, but it is certainly a different world from when we last recorded. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And Ann, two weeks ago, you were about to go on vacation. I was freshly back from the Berlin Film Festival. You were there. You were going to go to Greece and you were finishing up your time in Berlin. So let's get into it. We are still in the game. We're still talking about the industry, and there's so much to go over. What happened next? So I was going to go to Athens and Thessaloniki, and the morning I was supposed to fly there, um, I was going to be on the jury of the Thessaloniki Film Festival. So I was taking that break between Berlin and and when that festival started to go on vacation in, in Athens, where I'd never been. I was very excited. And uh, my friend who I was going to have dinner with said, hey, uh, they found the, the coronavirus in both of these places, the two places that I was going to go. And the person in Thessaloniki who brought the infection there had been on a plane from Milan. And it just hit me really strongly that if I was going to go back to the United States from Europe two weeks from then, there would be that many more people on those airplanes and I would be in much greater danger. I saw it that way. I really felt like it was very dangerous and I wanted to get home as soon as I possibly could. I simply followed my own gut instinct to get home. And honestly, I regret not urging you to do that more at the time. It's, it was so... Uh, well, Italy broke out when we were there. I saw the headlines as I was leaving, and it was like at the airport in Berlin. I saw the reports on Milan, and I was like, "Gosh, I wonder if I should be worried about getting out of here." And then didn't think twice about it. Just got on a plane, and everything was normal. No, it, I was sort of. I was a little worried about the coronavirus before I went to Berlin, but at that time, there was no infection in Europe, and I thought I knew, I and I, I understood that it would get there, but um, I didn't. I but the thing I didn't know. And I, what I know now, because we've been inundated with more information, is just how incredibly infectious and tenacious the virus is, just in terms of staying on surfaces and stuff. I remember looking at this woman on an airplane, wiping down the whole thing with a with a wipe. You know, when she sat down in her seat. Um, you know, now people understand how dangerous it really is. Yeah, I remember at Berlin, I sat down with Zsa Zsa because he had that documentary there. And there was this whole thing, is Zsa Zsa going to make it from China? And it was like kind of miraculous that he did. And he was saying how he had to, you know, cancel his production that he was going to be doing. And, you know, that there was just there was a real question about what was going to happen with all the theaters in China and all that kind of stuff. And I have to admit, it, it felt like a conversation with another world. It just it was completely 
unrelatable in a way that now obviously I understand in every level of my life. And I assume that many people have gone through that wake up process. And, you know, right. as much as I regret it, I feel like it's, it's important to recognize, you know, what we didn't understand then. When I got back, I realized I went off to Ojai for a few days and I realized how much safer I felt there for one thing. But right. when I got back to the city, I was going to screenings. I wasn't going to movie theaters. I wasn't going to the gym. Friends of mine were wiping themselves down at the, you know, wiping all the equipment off at the gym. Right. And I was like, you shouldn't go to the gym. You know, I was in fact more laissez-faire than my own daughter who was yelling at me not to do these things and not to go to restaurants. I, I did go to restaurants and then I stopped. The last screening I went to was um, a film that we both liked a lot, uh, Amy Simitz's um, She Dies Tomorrow, which turned out to be oddly uh, resonant. Uh, yes, it was a screening at the Soho House. But Prophetic. on the way down, I remember being in a closed elevator with a lot of guys sort of wedged together and thinking I should not be here, <laughs> you know. Suddenly but, you see it. You see the closeness with which we're always packed together. Yep, 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 yep. And you also see the weird thing about all these people on Twitter, you know, all these announcements about this guy, you know, from this on the set of you know, Tom Hanks, uh, the first one on the set uh, in Australia or any number of people who keep getting infected from being on movie sets. Yep. You think it's the it's the people, the politicians, the people who who have these very public jobs, who shake hands a lot, who are out in front of the crowds. These are the people who are at most risk. Yeah, I mean, on movie sets, if you think about it, it's like it's one thing to go hang out with a bunch of people, but that's literally what you're doing groundhog day style in a movie set shooting a scene over and over again like you have to shake a hand in a scene or kiss somebody you're going to do it many times so maybe the first time there's no transmission but on the fifth time it gets smaller so it's not surprising it's just really freaky but it's important that these folks are coming forward too because obviously it makes it all the more resonant that this Palpable. is a very real and we're all exactly. beginning to you know have six degrees of separation recognition that there are people we know who who have tested uh positive or you know someone close to us so um you uh ended up not going to south by that was the big yes. big cancellation at the beginning Yes, that was, a, it was really, I mean, it, it felt, didn't feel real until the moment the mayor showed up late for this press conference and, and just said it, you know, that he was declaring this state of this local disaster. It was just really hard to understand. It was a slow-mo thing over the course of the week with all these big companies pulling out. And even, you know, somebody like me, this was, would have been my 14th. So it was Facebook and Google and Apple and companies Apple, like that Netflix, weren't going to participate. Yeah. And at first it was like, a, you know, it's like a liability for these big companies. And the local health experts say it's not going to be any risk here having people come well, to town. Well, they didn't have any reported cases at the time. And so what the mayor was really doing was preventing the virus from entering his city and being responsible for yes. that. Yes. And it was the right decision to do. Obviously, we understand that, I think, now more than ever. But in the, at the moment, in our little space, I mean, you have to think about this two different ways. One is the entertainment world and the film world, the independent film world is a very small piece of a, a much larger tragic equation in terms of the impact of this thing. At the same time, we all inhabit our own little space and whatever impact there is, we have to be responsive to that. So the staggering effect of South by being canceled is one that... in 
in some ways we knew would be setting a precedent for what might happen with other festivals going forward in and, this case. And, and exactly. And so, and, and, and I was very proud of the Indie Wire response, which was to well, say, we are going to cover these movies. Well, let me, let me walk you through that because I think it's important to explain a distinction here, right? Being on the ground at South By has a couple of different ramifications. One is that it's a platform for studio movies and they play well in the room, stuff like that. Studios are not going to, you know, we're not ready to just show us those movies. But there's a much bigger equation when it came to these smaller films looking for distribution. But we couldn't just turn the switch and say we were doing this. So my weekend got really funky because I had to talk to a lot of festival people and it was all off the record. But basically what I needed to secure was an understanding that there was, that this was tangible because you needed filmmakers and representatives for filmmakers to make that determination that they wanted to have their films covered. Of if course. they didn't make that determination, then we can't do that. And, and, and it created an interesting question. So right? how but, many films did you end up deciding to cover? Well, we covered, I mean, I don't, I don't have the exact number, but we covered upwards of a dozen in different kinds of ways. We did a bunch of reviews. We did some interviews. I still have some stuff coming. We did our usual memo to distributors. Uh, the TV section did memo to distributors for the episodics. So we did, I mean, if you take out the studio stuff from the equation, we did roughly the same kind of South by coverage that we've done in previous years. So it was feasible. The challenge that a lot of these films had was that, if they were booked at other festivals, say you play South by and then you go to a smaller regional festival, well, then that smaller regional festival becomes your de facto world premiere. And a so lot of them made that or, decision. They, yeah, they a did. Lot, most of them but did. But now and, and all I, of those festivals are closing anyway. Exactly. So they got their coverage. But now I do feel that there is an open question because so, so Tribeca has said it was postponed. Can is saying it's postponed. We'll get into that in a little bit. But one of the things I think is this open question for festival people to really think about is if you say you you're postponed, then we have to look at that in a different sort of way because we're not going to cover a festival that's taking place later. We might be able to take the movies that we're going to play at a festival and, and, and use that as sort of a virtual festival context, which is what South By became. Right. So I think we're in a process of exploration like everyone else, but it is important to stress that we are open to thinking outside of the box because you have to. And that leads into the other thing that we're going to talk about here, which is where are these movies ever going to play? Right. All right. So the theaters have closed. What what happens well, now? Well, first first you first you had certain close New York led the way and San Francisco and so there were there were some indie theaters closing and then but they were managed to keep the big theater chains open much longer than some people even thought they should but eventually they have all closed down the big major theater chains and that raises the question of uh, several different questions, obviously many questions, but one is is the long term viability of these major theater chains, which were already over leveraged, under a lot of debt, uh, over screened, arguably in many many markets, um, where you would, especially in New York, where you would see a an AMC across the street from from a regal <laughs> across the street from right. you know uh, landmark or whatever so so you've got you've got um uh, a big problem there where you could really see a chain especially like AMC which is a very um debt ridden uh and the biggest chain in America owned by Wanda and they have lots of theaters overseas they were on a big yeah. buying spree they were buying all these different chains overseas so they could go bankrupt 
they could actually go into chapter 11 and they could come out in some ways stronger. Of course, we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know how many months. We don't know if we're going to be back in the summer, if we're going to be back in the fall, uh, how long this whole thing is going to play out. It's going to be regional. It's going to be local. It's going to be different. In China, they're bringing back some theaters now. In some and I love they're showing movies for that were like box office hits last year. Like Green Capernaum. Book. They're showing yeah. Green Book and Capernaum. Yeah. <laughs> Which was fascinating. I mean, I remember when we were talking about that last year, how it's like can it did $50 million dollars in China. How, it made like one here. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating contrast, but it's, it's a good way to test it out. But it's really interesting place. what they're doing because they're bringing it back. They're bringing these established ties so they don't have to market them. They don't have to spend advertising to brand them. They're already popular. They're big, big, big titles in China too, big popular titles there. And they're, um, they're just giving the theaters all the, all the grosses. They're not going to have to share them or give back rentals or anything. So that's really, um, I'm, I can't imagine that happening here, but something's going to have to happen. The studios are going to have to help the theaters well, get back on their feet. Did this thing with Universal, so now, thank God we get to see Trolls or whatever. All right, but, so Universal uh, did something that wasn't in designed to help the theaters, you know. It, it was it was not taken very well by the theaters that they did it so early. Wait, before the theaters closed, they did it. They and they, right they, they jumped right into this opportunity to do something that they've been wanting to do for a really long time. And and they, they went straight to premium VOD with, um, the Hunt and Invisible Man and Emma, which were yeah. all in theaters already, and then they took this Trolls World Tour and they're opening it on and April. And maybe it's really good because I, I don't mean to slight Trolls World Tour before I see it, but it is fascinating because that's a, those are that that one in particular, especially, is a big movie that you wouldn't. It's a sequel yeah. that they've already spent advertising on, and it's also. Um, it's got a very specific audience. That's the kind of movie that could go onto premium VOD. I mean, it, it, here's the thing: that area, that whole pay-per-view idea, that whole idea of premium VOD, is really um, something that has fallen out of favor. It has been not doing well in recent years. So they're bringing this back to, you know, in an opportunistic way right now. That doesn't mean it's going to be a a, a way to go. In the well, future. Sony Sony followed suit very quickly with Bloodshot, which would already opened just a few days beforehand. So it did seem like I mean that's a movie that seems well positioned to do well. Yes, in that because way. they spent a lot on advertising and it wasn't yeah. doing very well in theaters. Um, I mean the question is is there you know is it going to do well on VOD either? You know if know. If, if audience has already figured it. out they Maybe didn't want to see it. it. I might watch it this weekend. I'm going to see The Hunt and Invisible Man. No question. Well, that's, I mean, I need to see Invisible Man as well, unfortunately, because of all the travel and stuff, and I I missed it. Me too. uh, I have to tell you, The Hunt is a a great movie for this approach because it's timely, but it's also funny and and a conversation starter. Like, I think the online conversations around it will be really fascinating to follow. And, And the streaming world in general, you know, it's been so difficult to cover this space for you know, 15 years we've been trying to figure out what the big picture is. The so streaming wars became this whole thing. And I think it's it's a fascinating for us now to figure out how we want to respond to this new landscape. You know, we have a new column 
called the Streaming Wars. There's a TV version of it, sort of looking at the big players. And we have an indie edition that just started. And Kate's doing a great job with it. Yeah, it was a really good piece. It's full of a lot of good intel because our inboxes are full of all these different announcements about mostly uh, places like Criterion or IFC or or what's the horror one? No, or or Shudder. Yeah, so it's and and there's so much stuff. So I mean, by the start of this week, I was getting inundated with people asking, you know, if if we'd like to take a look at some of the films in their catalog worth looking at. So we started this new daily feature as well called Stream of the Day. So every morning you'll have a movie recommended to you. I mean, this is we're not even doing this with TV because TV stuff is still coming out. But there's so many movies. To, to, you know, it's like, it's, it, it's impossible to know where to start. So we're trying to map up at a strategy to explain that to people in a way that is also reflective of how the industry, the indie industry wants to explain itself to people. I mean, obviously Criterion Channel, if you don't have that subscription, get on that because that library is just stunning. Fabulous. And they're all offering discounts to people too. So it's, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ways to play the game. If you, if you take advantage of various people's uh, one week free or whatever it is offerings, you could, you could, you could scam it if you wanted to, but I think I'm hoping everybody will support these sites and give them a look, see. Yeah. I, and, and honestly, it's like, even if this crisis were not going on, you would stand to benefit from this kind of investment because as much as there is a, a very real argument to be made for the power of seeing a movie in theaters. I do think in some ways it's one of the most exciting times to be able to access film history and to, to see so many different sides of cinema as an art form. I mean, that's, it's, it's a silver lining of sorts, but it's, it's an I gave myself permission to watch the quiet man on St. Patrick's day, you know, (laughs) you know, I I can, I can watch it if I want to, you know, yeah, I'm going to do a deep dive on Boonwell pretty soon. I think it's a key. There, there are a few gaps and stuff. I really want to make sure to get into. It's like there, there are filmmaker pathways and, and blind spots. I saw the New York Times critics are going to be watching Top Gun weekend. I saw that. Well, they're obviously thinking along the same lines because people are stuck at home and yeah. they need they need recommendations. I see them asking you all the time, Eric. What yeah. do you, what should we watch? You know. And, and the talent is is stuck at home too. So we're experimenting on that front. I had a really fun Instagram Live Q and A with Ethan Hawke today, who was holed up upstate with his his kids and his dogs, and that was really. Fascinating. I'm sure because he was happy to get a break. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, well, one of the things he he pointed out was like, when you're a famous person, you go out a lot, you shake hands, you have to be around people for you know. Sometimes it's like charitable causes or whatever it is. So when you take that out, you realize how unnecessary a lot of that stuff is. But then at the same time, it's jarring to interact with the world. I mean, he was saying like, this is the first time since all this stuff happened where I'm interacting as a public person, and you just have to imagine so many folks in that position are going through that same kind of psychological process. Well, Twitter part of it. Exactly. I can see that celebrities are, are, you know, used to trying to get attention. Let's be honest, a lot of them. And, and so you've got, you know, Gal Gadot and, and a group of people singing a, a hopeless uh, version of John Lennon's match. And you've got Chris Martin doing a lovely version of yellow. That was great. Um, you've got An- uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his hot tub, oh you know, giving advice, the governor, 
<laughs> his tiny <laughs> ponies. Did you see that one? Oh Which one? There, he did another one in his kitchen with these two little ponies or horses. Oh or yeah, some, yeah. I, I don't know. What. Of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is um, on it. But you know what? It's, it's probably good for some of these folks. It's like it's great for their brand, and sometimes celebrities are resistant to the whole social thing. So now it's like it's by necessity to remind people you exist. So, and and I think also our workflow has been fascinating to follow. I mean, we had everybody up on a video conference for our meeting on Monday was like, you know, 15 people or something like that in different places. Usually there's a group in New York and a group in LA and we've got a conference room and there's a big, you know, uh, screen that we're all looking at with a couple of scattered people working from home. But this time everybody had their little box from home. So we're used to it. We have the advantage of really all of us, you know, all of us are used to working at home, all of us. And we're lucky to be employed and we're lucky to still have work to do. Uh, I must say, I I recognize the hardships. Um, I feel for the for the people in all the theaters who are unemployed. There are some GoFundMe um, uh, uh, things out there for movie cinema employees. And I I recommend everybody um, look for those and, and give generously. Um, and, you know, I know the guilds are getting into it and IA is getting into it and, every, you know, there's going to be some, some funds uh, that people can apply for um, when they're hurting. I feel for the people at my local supermarket. I see them day after day. I haven't been back for a while since the first bad day I went in there and turned around the lines all the way to the end of the store. Um, you know, so I've learned how to get things on delivery or to go to my local supermarket. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, I live a half a block from, from I mean, bodega, I mean, you know, the little yeah. grocery store, not the big yeah, one. That, it's a yeah. challenge. It's a real open question and, and everybody's converting to delivery and not everyone wants right. to order food right now. So there's, it's a lot of open questions in terms of how all this stuff is going to go down, but it's an ever changing thing. And I think, you know, the, the optimistic spin on it is that most people, in a situation like this are not going to just sit there and be like, everything sucks and is over. They're going to try to figure out how to sustain whatever they can sustain. Now, some of the businesses will not be sustainable and people will have to figure out what to do next. But I, I, I think we are going to see another wave of conversations about how to sustain the businesses we want to survive. And some people are going to figure out a way forward. It's just a question of, you know, what's that going to look like with the resources at our disposal? Well, I think a lot of companies now are, are making short-term and long-term decisions about, you know, weighing, you know, should we go forward and, and do VOD or should we wait and hold back and, and favor the theaters when they do come back? I think a lot of people recognize that the theaters could come back with a smaller number of theaters, yes. that there are some and, that and are not going to make it. They're not going to make this it. Is not, no, but this and, and was, was unfortunately a, really sad to say that this was a part of our business that was under threat. You yes, know? exactly. I mean, it kind of feels like something that was happening very, very gradually and seemed almost just see how vulnerable so they gradual. are. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden. And this is not just a specific market. It's the entire world. So but it's, you can it, also see that the studios have so many more alternatives, so many other options, so many other right. ways. And I, in a way, I understand better right now what the theaters were so afraid of. I, I get it. In a, in, right. This is all, all they of have. A sudden it's there. This is it. Yep. It's the, it's the nightmare scenario. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. And, of course, the last piece of news that was really – major in our world broke just a few hours ago before we started recording here and that is the inevitable 
postponement, cancellation, whatever you want to call it, of the Cannes Film Festival. We so, knew it would happen. Yeah. It did happen. It happened sooner than they said it would. They were going to announce it on April 15th, one way or the other, but clearly but it still uh, hurts, there was man. no way forward. Yeah. It, Except that it, it might hurts. be in June. What do you think? June? Yeah, so I don't think I, so. I, most people are, are baffled by that, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, the thing about Cannes that some people understand better than others, obviously I, you know this, but like, the, the 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 perception of Cannes as the best festival in the world is something that the festival takes as a personal obligation to assert every year. The ego, the the board members from every aspect of, of the French film industry depend on reinforcing that concept. And I knew that they were not going to announce any plan unless they could do it in a way that held some potential for the future. So the postponement allows them to do that but it's also it creates a sense of ambiguity that i think a lot of people don't know what to do with i mean late june early july like they're saying is still pretty soon to assume you can get away with throwing an event so i i think it's unlikely but i think at the same time that they they will continue to assess the situation in a way that allows them to provide a solution the way that the market has the marche du film will still yeah, talk about that you virtually. wrote a good story about that well, what I saw was that there were, the news cycle was very weird yesterday because, or on Wednesday, we're recording on Thursday. The news cycle was like it started with um, a story that CAA was leading an initiative with a bunch of other industry players to have some kind of virtual component of the Marche where they do their meetings and, and set up new projects and stuff. And then there was also some mention that maybe the Marche was going to do something itself. The, the can market would do its own thing. So I know Jerome. Payard, who's been running the, the Marche for uh, 25 years, and um, and I called him, and it turns out he'd been juggling a lot of calls because since the CAA news broke, he wanted to message what they were doing, and basically what they were planning to do, the Marche is um, subservient to the festival, so if if can moves, the then Marche will probably have some component going on there, but if if they either way, they knew that even if Cannes was happening, that <laughs> there wouldn't be a lot of people there. So they needed a way to represent virtually one way or another. So what they've done is they're building a platform on Sinando, which is an online streaming thing and stuff, where people can still have screenings at the same time they would have had their market screenings and they can have meetings. And everyone who has a market badge would be 50% discounted because it's a different kind of access, but you can still do some of that business. I think it's very smart because so much of the identity of Cannes for the industry goes beyond that lineup as great as it often is and has to do with the kind of deal making that happens in the bowel of the palais. Although so the truth will, of the matter, happen. yeah, the truth of the matter is though that um, as much as I enjoyed going to Berlin and there were some good films to see there, I could see pretty clearly that Berlin is not one of the major festivals the way Cannes is. But no, I could nothing. also see that the market had had diminished, and 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 I had witnessed the diminishment of the Cannes market over the years too. So it's just another way that our industry is is getting sliced and diced now and 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 this this virus is not helping 
it's it's it's, it's just a it's just but it's going to be interesting and this is if we can lead on perhaps leave on a more positive note the the the, the i i i like to i like the way that much like um when I lived in New York, the, the blackout or, or the snowstorm or, or in LA, the earthquake or the fire or whatever horrible thing we all had to, to deal with, whatever catastrophe was, was, was our coming our way, that, that people do rally and they do get, you do start to feel a sense of community. And when we're out walking, keeping our social distance on the street, um, and getting our exercise, uh, you know, there's a smiling, kind of warmth and people are reaching out and people are checking in with each other. And, and it, it, there is some humanity here that, that makes my heart warm um, in spite of all the craziness. Totally. I mean, I think it's one of the way of putting it is it's like you, this is not the situation in which you want to see what brings out the best in people, but clearly it brings out the best in people in, and in our community, you know, creative people who are passionate about what they do we're going to get through this because of that. And whatever the world is going to look like on the other side, however long it takes, it could be a short period. It could be longer than, than we don't know. We're, we're figuring out a way to do it in a way that I think is driven by positivity. And that positivity means that whatever happens, how much devastation there could be, there will be something on the other side because art doesn't just go away because of changes to the world. So uh, next right. week, it'll be interesting for us to see what we want to see talk where about. We are. Because, yeah, there, there will be new developments and, and, and there will be movies out there somewhere to talk about and, and, and all kinds of other stuff. But in the meantime, Anne, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. Um, practice social distancing, whatever you need to do. And uh, I will talk to you soon. And give Liz my love. All right. I will do that. Back to Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.